Amen, amen, that's too kind. Hey, can we just give it up for Josiah? I mean, he's, he's the real hero. Yeah, he, I told, um, I was talking to a couple friends about him uh, during this weekend's event, and it, it, was, it was crazy. It was cra- Anybody see the trash can? Raise your hand if you saw, do you feel bad? Yes, I feel bad too. And so I had a couple friends actually help me with that. Josiah stole a little bit of my thunder, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, JJ and Zach, are you here? JJ and Zach, are you? Go ahead and stand up for me. These two young men threw away 200 bags of trash. Not only did they do that, they also volunteered to preach today. So come on up. (laughs) I'm just just kidding. after we got done with the crazy meal and all the trash and all the things, those young men stayed in there and put away like three dozen tables, uh, 300 chairs without being asked. Like those are incredible young men, and I am just so grateful and thankful for them. But, but that's not the end of it. Today, some of our serve heroes this week, uh, Kyle, where are you at? Kyle, yep, go ahead and stand up for me, Kyle. And then also, will, uh, will Rick and Meredith stand up for me? Rick and Meredith, you stand up for me. Come on, let's give them some of our teens. JJ, Zach, is Stella in here? Is Zeke in here? Katie, Kylie, stand up. Come on, stand up. Let's give them a round of applause because they stayed here so late just serving and loving on people and and taking care of babies for like 33 hours straight, it felt like. <laughs> I went back there and I ran right back out the way I came in very quickly because that is not what I'm anointed for. I am not anointed for that. And, um, but anyways, uh, on the heels of that, our serve heroes, I, I, just you guys know what you did this week. I mean, I think you might have ruptured a disc in your back, Kyle. <laughs> we carried whole rows of these chairs out of the way to, to replace light bulbs. And, and in case you um, don't know how those chairs come up, they're very difficult and it's very hard to get them back in place. And so I'm just so grateful for the sweat equity that goes in to making this mission go forward. Did you know that it takes all of us? That here that we are excited to begin uh, introducing serve teams again, to, to, to just start taking a step forward in this. And we have a slide I'm going to throw up that next week we are going to begin introducing volunteer teams. And so maybe you've been here, this is your home church, and you're just, you haven't found that spot where you're going to be serving, whether that's uh, first impressions or whether that's helping to clean up some of the building or that's security or ushering. And we want you to stay after church for 10 or 15 minutes and, and uh, just, just hear about what we're going to be doing as a church as we advance the mission of Renovation Church. Amen? Amen. And so next week, it's just informational. It's not a commitment. It's not a covenant between you and the Lord of what you're going to be doing. But hey, if you played an instrument or have played an instrument or been in the worship team, if you just want to get involved and serve, stay next week after service for just a few moments to learn about what we're going to be doing here at Renovation. Amen? Amen. Thank you for the one woo. I like that. That is my style. I get the distinct honor today to continue um, preaching through the book of Romans today. And, and, and look, I, I think that two things makes me wonder if Kurt and Allie actually um, don't like me, okay? This is the two things. <laughs> Number one, they, they took off on district assembly and asked me to help figure out how to make this thing all happen this week. That's the first reason, Kurt. But then the second thing is they, they had me preaching after Allie. Who could do that? 
I mean, who could follow up after Ali's footsteps? She is awesome and incredible, but we are just continuing to preach through the book of Romans, and so I am going to just uh, be preaching through five and six today. Um, I, I, wanna, I come with a warning label, okay? So I, I'm trying to put some warning labels out there. I, I try to just move this much. When I get real excited, I go to the perimeter and I move a little bit more. So cameraman, tech team, everybody here. So that way you know just some of my mannerisms. This is my inside voice. Just in case you don't know, I, I'm working on that. My mother always told me, use your inside voice, and this is really it. But then when I get real excited, it starts going up a couple levels. And so I'm just letting you know that that's just a, that's stylistic. I am an animated, excited Probably 5'6". My license says I'm 5'8", bald man that has a small man complex. And so I raise my voice to, comp to compensate for what's, how low to the ground I am. So that's just the truth. That's just how I am. I'm giving you all the ugly things out front. If you guys can accept my ugly things, you're going to love what the Lord's done in my life. Then amen? All right. Who's next? Who else wants to have confession time at the mic? Come on up and tell me your ugly stuff. Well, I better preach. <sighs> But this is serious. This quote that I'm about to lay out for you, it's, it's one of the, the last season things that I learned from my, uh, my mentor, my coach. And you see, my story's unique, just like your story's unique, but I gave a lot of years away to the enemy. You know, whew, um, not yet, come on, just starting, uh, Man, I gave my life away to things that didn't matter. And and I realized that, that I was just searching this world to try to fill a gap in my soul. That there was this, this thing on the inside of me that was empty and void. And I was trying to fill it full of things of the world. And it was a God-sized void and nothing ever worked. And then once I got saved and the Lord radically changed me and saved me from my own suicide attempt and literally brought me out of the, the brink of death itself. Once he saved me from that moment, I lived in such a pace. I lived in such a furious pace that, that although the Lord had changed me and saved me and broke the curse of sin off of me, I still had wounds in my soul. I still had wounds in my emotional realm and in my, in my health uh, emotionally. I had wounds in there. And so I tried to live in such a fast pace to make up for all the years that I had lost. Does, does that resonate with anybody? Does, does anybody ever catch themselves maybe overly trying to produce in life? And, and even in ministry, I had been a pastor for multiple years at this point, and, and, and I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I was constantly tired. And, 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 and this book that I did this with my mentor, this is one of the quotes in there, and it says, a person who is always in a hurry hasn't sat with Jesus long enough. I was always late to a meeting. I never had time to make authentic, deep soul connection with people. I never built new relationships with people because I was missionally focused is my church language I would use. It's very pastoral sounding. But I was a mile wide, but I was an inch deep. 
There wasn't depth. There wasn't authentic connection. There wasn't soul relationships with people. The way that Jesus lived with people was not the way that I was leaving. Although my mouth was professing one thing about Jesus, the, 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 the character, the fruit of my life didn't produce Christ-like disciples in the manner in which Christ produced and so as we look at that quote together, and it says a person who is always in a hurry hasn't sat with Jesus long enough. Can you just hit pause on the distractions? Can you, can you slow down the thinking? Can we not look at our phone for, I'm going to go for 40 minutes is what I told them, got. It may be a little bit more. But if you can slow down long enough, I believe that the Lord has a word for you this morning. You see, before you all were sitting here this morning, over these last three weeks, I've touched every single chair dozens of times praying about who would be sitting there. And I've asked the Lord to give me a message and a word for the people that specifically are going to be here this morning. That I believe that if you allow yourself to just be present in this moment and receive what the Lord wants to say, that he could potentially just spark a new love, a new revival inside of your heart, and we can begin just taking this mission forward like we never dreamt. Amen? Romans 6.16. Romans, I'm going uh, to go ahead and I'll come back into five in just a little bit. Romans 6.16 says this. It says, don't you realize that you become, a, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? That word slave means to be in possession of, possessed by the owner of, that you, are, you, you do not have your own rights at that point. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You see, that word obey means to yield, to submit, and to give away your authority to. And so each of us in this room and online, are we're obeying one truth or one line of thinking in our life. You're either choosing to be a, a slave to sin and you're obeying the things of the world, the customs of the world, the traditions of the world. The, you, you deserve to have it your way. You can fill your lust and your satisf uh, satisfaction. You can, you can fill up all these wants and desires. Or you are obeying God and it leads to righteous living. It's very clear that there's no middle ground, that it is either or. That word obey is to yield, to submit to authority. But obey also has this, uh, this understanding that when you obey something, that you are hearing it. That you are listening. And so to properly obey God, that you have to be hearing what God is saying. That you have to be listening and actually yielding and submitting to what God is saying. Like I alluded to earlier is I searched this world high and low for something. I, I, I chased sin and death and all the terrible things as hard and as fast as, as anybody could. And, and ultimately, I just ended up empty. 
that, that for so long I, I gave myself away to the things of this world at the, at the cost of my children and the, my family. And, a, and I had gotten to such a broken and empty place. And I just, I knew there had to be something more than money and, and possessions and wealth and, and titles and houses and, and, and things that the world said are important. But tragically, m- most of the people we all know, if not us as well, we continue to try to fill in the blank. We, we, try, to, we try to fill in the blank with whatever the world says is important and that we should have. And it, and it leads us to this place of like uh, restlessness and anxiety and frustration and depression. Another quote from this book was, This endless cycle, it leads us to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, feeling overwhelmed yet empty at the same time, trying to fill this void inside of you. Like I told you, I was was four or five years into ministry at that point. When I realized that I was still trying to fill this void on the inside of me. That I was trying to fill it with good things at this point. Ministry and opportunity and possessions or helping people. And, and, and there was this constant hurry and this pace to my life that led me to constantly feel like I was always on empty and I had nothing else to give. If you were honest with me this morning... I bet a lot of us have been in that same place over this last season. That's just what this last season has got us to as a, in America, drill down a little bit, as a church, drill down a little bit, as a family. That we've tried so hard to push and go and make things happen and while sacrificing the only thing that truly matters is sitting at the feet of Jesus long enough to not be empty. In the first four chapters of Romans, Paul's announcing that this gospel message is about the righteousness of God. You know, he's talking about that this righteousness is being given to us only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That that he's almost debunking the thought process behind this works-based relationship. That you cannot work enough to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ. That you cannot be good enough, you cannot keep these commandments, you cannot achieve righteousness in the eyes of God. That that in the first four chapters, that's what he is unpacking, that this this hurrying, this pace, that that, that constant uh, direction we're pushing and going and trying to be good. The good things take place of the holy things, if we're not careful. And that's what Paul is really highlighting in the first four chapters there, and then, and then Paul describes this problem, but then he says that everybody deserves to die because we fall short of this glorious standard of holiness. Well, if he left us there, that's quite the cliffhanger, and that's really depressing. That, okay, I can't make a way, I can't earn a way, I deserve to die because I can't achieve this standard, well, what do I do then? Well, the beautiful, uh, beautiful thing about chapter 5 and going forward, it really unpacks like the benefits. What are the benefits of submitting and yielding to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life? 
And so that's where we're coming in. And on chapter five, it's like, you know, like when I got hired here, there's a benefits package. And so they're going over those. And we're like, oh, we got insurance? Praise the Lord. I've never had insurance. And so like, there's like these awesome benefit package, right? That's what we're talking about. Paul's letting us know our benefits of submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. And let's, uh, let's pick up on Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 1 together. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And as that's up there, that first word, which is so critical. Everybody say, therefore. That was like nine people. Everybody say, therefore. Therefore, that was 33, half of us. We'll get closer next time. We'll try again. But it says, therefore. And here's the thing. Like, you got that comma. You have that word, therefore. You cannot proceed forward. Because we do this a lot in our, in our church and ease Bible reading sessions that we do. Like, Lord, I got seven minutes. I know I'm on the toilet, but I got to get to work, and I'm reading my Bible. You don't stop to actually read anything. Like, what is it really saying? That's, this is, that's how we usually read Scripture. Like, we throw God just a little quick leftover, and I'm off in my day. Like, bless my day. Let my children not fall in the water or something crazy, right? But when you're reading Scripture, you've got to have enough space to truly process what's happening. See, that therefore is implying that you understand that was already said before. That you cannot understand the benefit package of being a Christian. And don't be so holy that you don't want to know about the benefits of being a Christian. Like, you can't understand the benefits if you don't understand what came before therefore. And so you cannot proceed. You cannot collect $200. You cannot pass go until you understand what came before. So it says, therefore, so you got to hit the brakes, and you got to go backwards in order to go forward. Anybody ever had to do that in their life? I had to go backwards and deal with some junk in my heart from my past to be a whole, sanctified, set-free person. So this, therefore, I'm just going to read it. They're not going to throw it up. It's Romans 4.25. So chapter 4 ends on this. It says that he was handed over to die. You see, remember earlier, Paul was explaining who was supposed to die. You and I. And so before you can understand the benefits, you got to understand who took your place. And so in 425, it says, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's good news. Like, A, I don't have to die for what I've done. Praise the Lord. But then somebody else took that place, was raised to life, and not only took on the sin and took me from a position of sin, by his standard, his holy standard in raising again, he took me from sin unto grace. He made me redeemed and reconciled to God. And so in God's sight that I am washed clean and I am, I, I'm grace. In his eyes. That's good news. And so that therefore that's up there in Romans 5.1, when it says therefore, it is implying that you understand and you are meditating on this thought that the, the, the place that you were supposed to be in, you're no longer in. That somebody else paid that price for you. And so all of that is packed into that word therefore. It says therefore. Therefore, since we have been made right. Somebody say made right. Don't you just like it when things are made right? Like, let, let me tell you a little something about me. We just moved and had a 300-foot U-Haul, I think. And, and then and my, my wife got a hold of, like, Amazon ordering every new piece of furniture for our apartment. And we sold everything that was Missourian and left that back in Cowtown, okay, because it was the big, 
big old puffy couches and brown didn't fit in little apartments. And so we need city furniture is what she said. We need stuff to look like the city. Well, city furniture come in boxes <laughs> and that stuff ain't made right. And then we get a, a preacher man that has like a pink drill set that doesn't know how to put stuff together and the furniture's in a box. It definitely ain't coming out right. <laughs> it's just like you and me sometimes. You see, you can't do enough good things to be made right. You can't fix yourself. Therefore, remember the therefore, the implication of 425, that he took your place, you're no longer sin, now you're grace, now you're reconciled to a holy God. Therefore, since we have been made right, glory to God. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That word made right, it's to amend or correct. See, I'm going to have to have Josiah come over and amend and correct some of that furniture I tried to put together because it's messed up. <laughs> it's, no, the couch is fine, babe. It's, it's, like, it's got like a sway to it. <laughs> I didn't need those 13 screws. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, that to amend or correct, that we have been justified, that we have been moved from sin to grace, that that, that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And you can't do it on your own. But you know this, this ancient battle. This is an ancient battle. All the way back to Genesis from the garden, the enemy has tried to convince you that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. That you're missing something. That you're never going to be enough. And everybody sees you as a failure. Everybody sees your flaws. I mean, this, this goes back to the garden. You see, this, this, this thing that there's something inside of me that tells me there's something wrong with you, Brandon. You're not like everybody else. Who am I talking to? You know. You're never going to measure up to, you, to that standard, Brandon. It's this ancient battle since the beginning of the, the garden. Uh, it's, it's even God said, I created them in my own image. That the enemy has tried to convince us that we are made wrong. That there's something fundamentally wrong with us. That, that you are missing something that everybody else has but you. He, he tries to say that, he tries to convince you that, that if you just maybe did enough, or if, maybe if you were a better mom or a better husband, or a, if you were a better child, that, that, that you wouldn't feel this way. And he does that because he hates our standing, our justification with the Holy God because of what Jesus did for us. And so that verse, it says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's Sight. Process that thought for a second with me. You have been made right in God's sight. God sees you. He sees you right where you're at. And he sees you and he says that you're right. That you're made right in his sight. You're justified. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, he says, I made you that way. <laughs> I made you that way. Like you're whole. You're not broken. You're not incomplete. You're not lacking something that the rest of the world has. Like 
You're perfect in my sight, God says. And so when we read that verse, it says that we are made right in God's sight. Let me just ask you this morning. Like whose eyes do you see yourself through? Think about that. There's not a, nobody's immune to this. This is every age group. Youth. Adults. Seasoned saints. Every season has a different group of eyes that you feel like you don't, that you don't meet, that you don't reach the standard to, that you're not accepted, you don't belong, I didn't quite make it, I'm not good enough, I didn't do enough, I should have been more, I should have did this. And those are all lies that the enemy wants you to plant in that heart and just believe. That somehow there's just something fundamentally wrong with us, that we're wretched old sinners till we die and just get to heaven. But that's not what this gospel says. It says that you're made right to be whole and complete, to be set apart from those mistakes you made. You're no longer those things that in God's sight, he don't see you that way. He doesn't see you that way anymore. And so as we keep going, it says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, by faith, like this ludicrous idea that we believe, we believe this, that God sent his son into the womb of a woman, a virgin, process this, a virgin woman gave birth and it was God's son. Again, sometimes we rush past, somehow we supernaturally believe that she gave birth to this baby, this baby grew up and was the son of man, died on a cross and rose again and because of that sacrifice, you are now made right in God's sight. That is crazy. But somehow, by faith, supernaturally, I believe that. <laughs> it's a gift from God that I believe that. And so by faith, you are made right in God's standard. There's nothing you can do but sit and receive what he's already given. I, that excites me. I don't know what to say. And maybe, like, if, when you were as, if you were as messed up as me, stuff like that just excites you. Like, you go before the judge, and the judge is like, you don't got no crimes. You ain't got no criminal history. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Woohoo! That's what happened. Your record was just as long as mine. Sin is sin is sin. But in the eyes of a holy God, we're made right. <laughs> Therefore, since we've been made right, somebody say made right. Made right. You're made right. You can act like we're flawed and fall apart, or we can put together a perfectionist look, but you're made right in God's sight, and that's the only eyes that matter. So, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. Whew. You know what's missing in our churches? You know why our churches aren't packed full? Because people aren't experiencing that peace that we talk about. If a lost and dying world came in here and supernaturally experienced the peace that you and I believe, we would have to build another building. We've allowed some of this peace to be robbed from our lives. This peace that they talk about in this. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. 
You see, this peace with God, it comes from receiving and abiding in what Christ has already done for us. You see, we sacrifice that, uh, this peace with God, that we sacrifice that because we focus on the peace of the world that we try to get that we lose sight of, we don't meditate on, we don't sit in, we don't abide in what Christ has already done, the sacrifice, the blood that was shed for you and I on a daily basis. We don't find ourselves on our knees and worship like this with tears and snot coming out of your face like, I cannot believe you died for me. But man, when you set that heart posture right there, every day, every morning, every moment, every chance you get, when you set your posture right there at, at like, like you forgave me, what you did, Christ, when you meditate on those things, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you because what has already been done is greater than what could already get done or can happen to you. And so what Christ did for you is better than anything bad that could ever happen. That's that peace with God. Because in Romans 5.10, it says we were enemies while we were still enemies we were reconciled to him. Are you guys with me? Did my jumping around scare anybody? Did I take a prayer break and let you sneak out? <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, no. <laughs> but you know there's a, difference of, there's a difference in peace with God and peace of God. You see, you can't change your peace with God once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But I think what we're, what we're realizing as believers is this peace of God. Like this peace of God, it's been Americanized and Western culturized in our churches. That somehow it means that you got like a, 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 a three bedroom house and two car garage with a beautiful white picket fence and you got all the good things and nothing ever bad happens to you. I got the peace of God. No, <laughs> man, you just living high on the hog. <laughs> People who don't know Jesus feel that same way. <laughs> that ain't the peace of God. You see, the peace of God is something that the world can't steal. But you know who can? You can give it away. You can give it away with trying to get the things that the world say are important and forgetting what the most important thing that's ever been done for you is. See, when you do not meditate in that peace with God that's been given to you, you sacrifice your peace of God, this, this experience, this feeling. You do not operate like you, when you're going, when you got your back against the wall and, and things are going on in your life and, and you, your, your family's going through this, you got struggles, you got troubles, you got financial things, you lost your job, you're married, all these things happen. But somehow you're operating in this peace of God, this supernatural, like, okay, either there's something funny about you or I want what you got kind of peace. Like, how is it that you're acting this way when I know what's going on in your life? Well, let me tell you about it. You got to tell you about it. Because while I was still God's enemy, Jesus died on a cross for me, and I didn't have to die a sinner's death. And so I got moved from sin over to grace, and I didn't have to do nothing. That's why I've got peace inside of my bones. Because what I deserved, I didn't get. And what I didn't deserve, I did get. And so that peace, that surpasses all understanding. Here's one of our problems. When our lives are vacant of this peace, of the peace of God, it's because we are living absent from the presence of God. Some might... No offense, but some of my old timers know what I'm talking about right now. This used to be a holy place. 
This used to be a place of reverence and respect where you knew that you were about to encounter a holy God. Not just a, a routine or a tradition, but you remember those times when people came running down to these altars weeping and crying. You remember those, that time when the manifest presence of God was so much on you that you knew that God himself was present among us. But, but we have got a culture of hurried and, and busy and I don't have time for this. And you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus any longer that we come to Sunday church and it's a, it's a consumerism type of experience. And you want to know what do they got for me today and we're not, we're not operating out of the overflow of the presence of God that I've been in all week. You're hoping by the skin of your teeth, by, by some chance that, that somehow how I've been feeling and my burnout, I'm going to give up, I'm going to quit. That somehow maybe I can just get a little dose of, of good feeling today at church. But we're not coming to church out of the overflow of the presence of God. It's just a burden I have. Romans 5.2 says this. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Undeserved, you're unable to earn. You can't achieve. You can't accomplish. Because of what Christ has done, he's brought us into this place of Deserved privilege. See, one of the great tragedies of a lot of believers is we don't know our value. Our churches are void of the peace of God. That people on the outside say, well, you look and act and feel and sound the same way that I do going through what I'm going through. Why would I want what you have? You know? But then also believers, we're out in the world and we're we're trying to prove our value and our worth to people. We're trying to build up our networks. We're trying to be successful in the world's eyes. And, but our, our undeserved privilege, our value, is not something that you can earn. It's something that you've been given as a believer. And then when we operated out of that value system that, that the world, it didn't create your value and the world cannot take your value that our value is in Christ, this undeserved privilege that Christ has brought us into, that is our value system. But tragically, the, the reason that many of us are stuck still seeking, making little forward progress is because we're trying to find our value in this world. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I'm gonna let them get set up and I'm gonna try to land this plane. Try not to get in a hurry. Try not to start thinking about what's next. Try to stay present right in this moment right here. Because if each of us are open and honest, like, there's a piece of that image. The image that we think is tarnished or messed up or there's something wrong with us. There's, each of us struggles somewhere inside of that image of the one that God gave us and created us and made us right. And the one that we try to earn and make in the world. Our value, the privilege it is to be a believer and to be in the hands of a, a loving God and to be made right in his sight. But so many of us take that value and we try to earn it in things of this world and attention or affirmation, social media, jobs, good things, 
parenting. Moms, dads. Where's your value tied up today? What is it? What is it that you, that you hold on to? God's not saying to like, let it go and don't take care of it. But he's wanting to maybe realign your heart priorities to where your value should be. Meditate on the, the reconciling to, to God that Christ did for us. That beautiful sacrifice. Everybody go and stand with me. Get some blood flowing. A couple eyes are falling. I was screaming, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> Romans 5.3. If I had to put the cherry on top to today's message, this is what a lost and dying world is missing. A lost and dying world is missing a group of believers. You can rejoice too. You can rejoice too, no matter what's going on. You see, it was almost like this um, expected outcome of a believer's life. Definitely when Paul was writing this. It wasn't the, you know, it, it was the rule as a believer that you're going to suffer. We've tarnished that with prosperity gospel and a bunch of hogwash that's been accepted at pulpits around our country for a long time, but not any longer. We're going to suffer, believers. We're going to go through the same kind of stuff we've been going through for the last few years. Like the tools for us to overcome and take charge again and head back into the enemy's territory, it's right here in Scripture. It says that we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. You're going to run into a problem. You're going to run into a trial. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to stop. You're going to want somebody else to just do something. But he says that this is what we're supposed to do. That for we know that these problems and trials, for we know this. <laughs> we know that they help us develop endurance. In case you're waiting for things to get back to the way they were, they're never going there. But what are we going to do with the way they are now? See, that word endurance, it means that you have the capacity to hold out and bear up. Let's bow our heads. As the worship team goes into their first song, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray through this moment. And I'm going to do an altar call response. This isn't for the just the unbelievers or somebody doesn't know Jesus, I'm gonna open this altars up to our families, my seasoned saints, our loved ones that maybe this message spoke to you that you had lost some of your value and your image or maybe that you've, uh, you've put your peace in the hands of people and you've not let the peace of God rule your life. Or maybe that this, this uh, when, I, when Paul was talking about having endurance and rejoicing in your, in your problems and your trials, that, that maybe that's not been you through this season of troubles, trials and problems that you've gone through. I'd like to invite you 
You could come up and find a place at these altars and have a moment just praying. All you have to do is kneel down and, and pray as the worship's going on. You can have the same holy moment in your seat, but sometimes allowing yourself the boldness to get out of your seat and, and admit before brothers and sisters that you need a, a supernatural work from the Lord, sometimes that actually helps us to have a moment with the Lord. And so I'm going to pray, and if that's you and you'd like to come to these altars and just pray a little bit during worship, I invite you to do so now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. But right now, Lord, I ask that whoever that is that's maybe struggling in this season, they've had to go through something hard. They're confused in their value and identity. They're overwhelmed. They're always in a hurry. They're always busy. In fact, they've been a Christian. They don't even know how to sit at the feet of Jesus. They don't even understand what that deep, soulful, authentic relationship is. I invite them to just get out of their seat this morning and make this a special occasion and place themselves at these altars and have a conversation with you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, everybody said, amen.